You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina in the Trenches podcast. I'm your host, John Sigley. I'm joined by Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson. It's been a minute since we talked, guys. A whole lot has happened in the wide world of sports. And unfortunately, the biggest one is that the COVID-19 pandemic has shut down everything. For UNC football in particular, this means that they are not doing their normal spring practice routine. No team organized drills, practices, anything like that. So since you guys are both former players, wanted to start off the podcast getting your thoughts on what impact this might have. Mike, let's go ahead and start with you, man. You know, this is kind of a topic that fans don't really seem to have a great idea on. Some think that it's really going to set the team back. Others think that it really won't, considering that players can still, you know, work out and do stuff individually. So in your mind, how big of an impact do you think it will be on the 2020 season, assuming there is a season at this point, that the team cannot organize and actually do stuff together? Well, there's two primary benefits of spring practice. Number one is for the existing guys um, and, and the staff, it gives everybody an opportunity to start developing their training camp roster and the depth chart that you're going to use throughout the summer with respect to conducting drills after conditioning and things like that. And it gives guys an idea where they stand, right? Where, where they, where they, where they sit on the depth chart. Um, that that's extremely helpful and beneficial going into camp because you don't have to waste time then developing a depth chart. All you do is you guy shows up to camp. He looks better than he did in the spring. So maybe you swap him and the guy that was in front of him, and you just reverse their their positions on the depth chart, and that's it. But for the most part, you have that already solidified. The problem that they're going to have now is that they're going to have to basically develop that that depth chart on the fly. It's going to be based on what they saw from existing guys from the season prior, right? And they're going to be doing a ton of player evaluation during camp, which they already do a ton of player evaluation during camp. But now there's going to be more of a focus on that as well as installing their offensive and defensive schemes and working on general fundamentals, getting guys' bodies prepared for the season, which is the other major component of training camp. So now you're going to have kind of two very necessary things pulling on each other, player evaluation and depth chart creation, right, and also player development and um, scheme install, right, and both of those – uh, require you could you could spend an entire training camp on either of those. You're now going to have to spend a one training camp on both, which is going to you know those are competing interests there. And that's uh, I would hope that you know, and I know the coaches will they'll find a way to manage the time and manage the attention to both areas enough to where there isn't a drop off for either. Um, but it is going to be an interesting juggling act that the coaching staff is going to have to go through now. The other major benefit of spring ball is that it gets guys early enrollees prepared for training camp, right? And it gets them introduced to college football and they don't have to learn as much on the fly come the summertime. So they're, you know, you have guys that come in as early enrollees spring ball is their training camp. And then they roll into camp in the summertime and they're that much more advanced from the guys that didn't enroll early. Right. And they're in a position where they could come in and they can start and they can play as true freshmen and really contribute 
because there wasn't a learning curve. They were able to spend training camp the same way that the older players spend training camp, and that is just preparing for the season, not actually learning, number one, how to play college football, um, and number two, what the offensive and defensive schemes are, right? That, that stuff will have already been embedded in them from, train, or from spring ball, um, by the time they get to camp, they're not going to have that benefit now. So there's going to be a, a steeper learning curve, kind of like, you know, I didn't, I didn't roll early. And I can say from personal experience, there is a huge learning curve. When you're coming into training camp, you're learning how to, you're putting on pads, you're hitting at the college level for the first time. You're still trying to learn the plays. You're still trying to learn the dorm system. You're still trying to learn team interaction and bonding and all that stuff. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on outside of just football that's all pulling on you. So again, you know, the coaching staff is going to have competing interests kind of tugging on one another between the depth chart and player development. And the individual players now are going to have, at least the younger ones are going to have some stuff, competing interests pulling on them between learning, learning the playbook, right. And also learning how to play college football, which are two very distinct things. So those are the two main areas that are going to be impacted by not having spring practice, but in the, in the long run, it's not going to make a huge difference. Not a lot gets accomplished in spring ball besides those two things, regardless of what people tell you. Um, but it, the, those do we'll, – we'll see exactly how important those two, those two benefits of spring ball are this year, and you'll see it nationally. So at least Carolina's on the same page as everybody else. So, EJ, how do you think you would have handled not having a spring ball? And I, I'd like to get your thoughts from the perspective of your initial year at Carolina to your senior year at UNC. Yeah, I was just going to say that this is going to have to be broken down into two different time periods in my uh, life. Uh, I definitely matured a lot as a player while I was at UNC. So uh, my freshman year, um, a couple wait, different wait, things. Wait, 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 wait. Give us an example. No. <laughs> no, no, because this is this is news to me that you matured throughout your time at Carolina. So just give me an example. Okay, perfect example. Uh, at the end of spring ball freshman year, uh, we had some adult beverages in my uh, dorm and decided that we wanted to slap box each other. One of my uh, one of my colleagues uh, at, who was a freshman with me hit me in my ear with the heel of his hand. So when we uh, got back, I couldn't work out because I bursted my eardrum. Fast forward to senior year, I didn't do that. So that's that's just one sign of maturation right there. Okay, fair. Thank, thank that, you, EJ. Is that, is that fair enough? Fair I enough appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Your, your, sign of, your sign of maturation was not letting another man slap you in the side of the face and, and deafen you in one ear. The, your decision to not do that was maturation. I hear you. Thank you. It's a great I, example. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, and next, I appreciate ne- that. I mean, next year, I, ne- next you're going to tell, tell us that you grew this week by not – going to the bar and making out with random people for the purposes of getting coronavirus that between Monday and Friday, you decided that was a bad idea. That's, that's great. EJ. I'm going to gauge, man. I don't go to bars and I don't hang out with loosely moral women, but back to what I was saying. <laughs> so freshman year, it may, it may have been a little different. I think it really, really would have uh, hindered me a little bit. Um, I don't know how much I've told this story, but I probably played six different positions at Carolina during the spring of, uh, of my freshman year, one of my coaches told me that I was the worst fullback in ACC history and that he wanted to help me transfer out of the program. So without that spring, I wouldn't have known that I was meant to be playing defensive line instead of just dabbling with all these other positions. But I re- it really did help me get acclimated to what was expected from me, what would be expected from me from this upcoming training camp. Because as freshmen in training camp, unless you're projected to be a starter, if you're a four, four-star or five-star guy, you're not going to be taking many reps in, in, in during training camp. But if you do, it's probably going to be freshman on freshman action. So 
my uh I definitely would have it definitely would have I think hindered my uh development as a player, but on a personal level, I think I really would have enjoyed that. I mean, that would have been more time to go back home and visit some of my friends who were freshmen in college who this would have been our first spring break, uh first spring break, first time um when it's warm as college students to really hang out and have fun. But as a senior, I, I don't think it really would have affected me that much because I would have developed the habits that I needed to be a successful player by then. Um, I would have known what I needed to do for film study. I would have known what extra things I needed to do to get my body right. And I would have developed leadership skills to say, hey, even though we can't get together, organize as a team, there's still things that we can do virtually. I mean, with all the technology we have now, we you can call your teammates and you can discuss uh, defensive schemes with them. You can have conversations with your coordinator, your position coach, asking them things you need to be pr- improve on. Or what can I be working on during this downtime? So there's still opportunities uh, to get stuff done. As Mike said, I don't think that in the grand scheme of things, it's going to affect uh, the program too much. Um, and, and everyone else in the country is going through the same thing. So nobody's getting an extra advantage other than those teams who have great senior leadership. And I do have uh, faith that we have good leadership on our team right now that's going to get the guys together and try to make this time as productive as, as possible. Uh, we have a lot of guys that came in early, uh, some guys that will probably end up playing for us. So I think that not having spring practice kind of – it hinders and it kind of takes away that advantage that we would have had. Uh, guys like KBJ, I mean – this he, he's already there. And I mean, in my opinion, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to impact, uh, impact our season this year, but we'll get into that a little bit later. So it kind of just takes away that strategic advantage of guys enrolling early. But um, I definitely think as a senior, I don't think it, it definitely would have affected how I prepared and how I use my time in the spring uh, to get ready for the upcoming season. So Mike, uh, our very own Buck Sanders, mentioned you and another of IC's favorite former players, Brian Chacos, in terms of how you guys would have enjoyed not having, you know, spring practices and spring ball. Um, what is your comment on what Mr. Sanders said? He is 100% correct. I hated spring ball. <laughs> I, I would sit there, we'd practice three days a week, and every single day we'd have practice, I would complain that we're not playing another game for four and a half months. What am I doing out here in pads, sweating, getting bruised up? Uh, tired, my back hurts, right? And then on the off days, I'd be complaining about what am I doing tomorrow, having to put on pads, going out there sweating, getting banged up, my back hurts. Um, I would just complain about it constantly. Um, maybe maybe it was just uh, more of a, maybe I'm just a grouchy old man uh, yelling at clouds every day in my life, which has been intimated to me in the past. So that, that, may be, that may just be a personality defect I have, but I really did not I was not a fan of spring ball Um, in my older age and in my wisdom. I see the benefits of it. Uh, But at the time when I was living it, it was it was hard for me to hard for me to really appreciate what I had. And I can probably say that about college in general, too. Looking back now, I don't really think I appreciated what I had. But, you know, such is life. EJ, were the defensive line lockers close at all to the offensive line? Did you have to hear Mike just complain about having to practice every single day? No, but we had to smell them. <laughs> I won't get I won't get into the smell factor. I have a leg to stand on because I know uh, exactly which teammates Mike's, Mike is referring to. And Mike, we had to smell them too. I, 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 I made the bad decision to become good friends with Mike when we were in college. So not only did I have to hear this at practice, 
in the locker room. Once we're done with the rep, Mike's just like, I don't even know why we're doing this. But on the weekend, after practice, just hanging around on campus, I, can, I, I had to hear Mike complaining about it. But the thing is, as much trash as he talked, he always was the first guy in line for drills. He always was, was working hard. So I think it's more so he wants to convince himself that he's a bitter old man. But, I mean, he, he, he'll comply and do the right thing when, when it comes down to it. So. Yes, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a good soldier living in a delusion. That's exactly what I am. <laughs> I think there that's the perfect go. description for you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nice. All right, guys. Well, hey, let's go ahead and take our first commercial break to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are longtime sponsors of Inside Carolina and UNC Athletics. If you need to do some shopping, Giant T-Shirt has you covered for everything you could want for the Tar Heel fan and your family. Their location on Franklin Street has been in business for decades where they have the absolute best customer service. And during these times when people are being encouraged to, you know, stay inside, do social distancing, you can still shop online at GiantT-Shirt.com. You can help out the local business tremendously by continuing to order your Tar Heel gear on that website. You can find the same great selection there and also get amazing customer service still. And don't forget that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders either at their Fangle Street location or online at johntshirt.com. You can get that 10% off code from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board or the Basketball Premium Message Board. So support a local business. Shop at johntshirt.com for all your Tar Heel gear needs. All right, guys. So back to the actual podcast here. We're going to be doing something a little bit different than we've done in the past. This is a little segment that I'm going to call Player Profiles. What we did is I assigned Mike and EJ each one player that is a freshman for next year's team. And they looked at some of the high school film that, that they could find on these guys and are going to be giving their thoughts on what these players are doing well already, what they need to improve on, and then what impact they might have during their initial seasons here at Chapel Hill. So for this week, the targets for them both, Mike covered Malik McGowan, offensive lineman, and then EJ got Kedrick Bingley-Jones, the defensive line prospect. So guys, let's go ahead and jump right into this. And Mike, let's go ahead and start with you on Malik McGowan. So he is a big kid coming out of Charlotte area. Uh, I know that you're living in Charlotte now, so I thought it, it would be an interesting you know, kind of tie in there. So when you were looking over Malik's film, go ahead and give us your thoughts then on starting off what he's doing well, then what he needs to improve on, and then what impact you think he might have as a freshman. Yeah, so like John just told you for for this week's segment of the COVID-19 Slow Sports News podcast, uh, I looked at Malik McGowan out of Charlotte Catholic here in Charlotte. And, uh, and I saw some good things. I saw some things he needs to work on. But, you know, I, I, I unfortunately am hypercritical of high school players, uh, I go back and look at my film and I honestly probably like most of our fan base have no idea how I got a division one scholarship to play at North Carolina. So, um, you know, that's, that, that's, you know, hindsight, hindsight there is 2020 and, and maybe John Bunning, uh, didn't, didn't exactly know what he was doing, but I'm glad he made the mistake of giving me a scholarship because based on my high school film, I wouldn't have signed me. Um, but I also watched that knowing that by the end of my college career, I was an entirely different player than I was when I was coming in out of high school. Um, not, not the least of which because I played a different position um, by the time I finished college. And Malik McGowan's going to be one of those guys. He's played both guard and tackle in high school. 
Um, I think he's going to primarily be a guard at the sec- at, at this next level. I think he could even maybe translate into a center. It's all going to be a matter of how flexible he is and whether he can keep his pad level down, which is something we'll get to in the, I don't want to call it the criticism portion, but the, the, the things he can improve on portion at the college level, things that I know he will improve on at the college level. But to start off the things that he did well, um, you know, he has very quick feet for a big man. You know, Malik is a, he's a big, heavy guy. Um, but he has, you know, he's like a little dancing bear. He's got very quick feet, very agile feet. Um, I, I notice that his, um, his, his, his steps in his double teams and in the run game, um, though he doesn't gain a lot of ground or as much ground as I would like him to gain, um, in, in, in some of his, some of his, uh, blocking assignments, for his first and second steps, what I do see is he can pick his feet up and put them down really fast. And that's something that's very difficult to teach. Um, some, you know, you either have it or you don't. What that shows me is that Malik has uh, fast twitch muscle predisposition that, again, you can't teach it and that he will be able to incorporate into his college game fairly easily. And if you've got that foundation, if you have that fast twitch agile foundation, then you can teach the technique, you can teach the proper steps, you can teach shoulder angles and shoulder integrity, and you can teach pad level and all that stuff. But it's really, really hard to teach foot quickness. So Malik Malik has that. The other thing that Malik has that I think he does very well, especially when he's fresh, when he gets tired, this wanes a little bit, but that's every player. Um, Malik finishes a lot and he, and he likes to finish. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, he'll get a guy on the run and until the ball carrier is on the ground and the whistle's blown, he's still trying to put that guy on the ground. Um, uh, at the high school level, that's important to see because you actually don't see that a lot from, from some big name prospects, right? Some, some big time prospects. You don't see that a lot. That's another thing that you can't teach, right? Some guys will just get on their assignment. They'll push them out of the way. Maybe they'll, you know, they'll shove them four and five yards because they're so big and so strong in high school. They can just throw little high school kids around, and then they think the play's over, and they kind of walk around and they jog around. Uh, Malik, when he locks onto a guy, tries to finish every single time. And if he can't finish, he just tries to get the guy completely out of the frame of the camera, which is, again, it's, it's a, that's a nastiness. That's a tenaciousness that you can't teach. Um, you either have it or you don't, much like the foot quickness and the natural agility. So Malik has a lot of good things working for him already. Things that um, uh, you, he doesn't really need to develop because he already has them innately. Um, and that will provide a, a really solid foundation for him when he gets into the technical aspect of offensive line play on the second level. Um, the, the third thing that I saw that, that I really liked from Malik was he understands pass protection and, and his body positioning in pass protection. And, and, and I, I saw this from uh, – he has a, a clip on his huddle page of some second round of playoff highlights, and you see it very early on. It's maybe the first, second, or third play in that highlight, that highlight reel. And um, he has a guy who's lined up really tight on him, right on his outside shoulder, uh, almost a head-up technique. And he understood to you know, pick up and put down his inside foot immediately, right, but keep his hips square to the line. Um, when he locked on the guy, he didn't lean his head in. He punched, right, and he used the power from his punch, and he used his weight room training to keep his head back, keep his arms extended so he could use his eyes and still see around the guy. And he moved laterally with him very, very well. So even when you saw the kid – uh, revert back to the outside move, right? As a secondary, which happens a lot when you have um, head up techniques or tight, tight alignments from defensive linemen, their first move will actually be an inside move and their bailout move will be try to get back around the edge. Once they think they have your hip opened up, this kid moved to his secondary move, the outside move. And Malik was able to keep his hips relatively square and kind of push the kid out 
laterally instead of just dropping his outside hip. He's on the left side, so it would be his left hip. Instead of just dropping his left hip and opening up like a can of sardines and shortening the edge to the quarterback, Malik did exactly what you're supposed to do, and he moved his hips uh, laterally, and he moved the kid laterally, all while keeping his head back and his arms extended so that he could use his eyes to see in case, see uh, if anything else came you know, through a gap or another assignment. Uh, showed up out of nowhere that he could help out with. I thought that was very good. It showed great prescience. It showed good coaching. Um, uh, I think he's he's well coached. Not a lot of high school kids know how to do that or have the natural ability to do that. Um, that being said, not a lot of college players have the natural ability to do that. I struggled with it at times too uh, at the college and the pro level. So, um, you know, Malik has shown flashes of of some good stuff. Now, those are some positive areas. Some areas that I think Malik can improve on is, you know, number one, Malik is a really big guy. Um, I think at the next level, he's going to get into the strength and conditioning program and they're going to lean him out. And at the point that he gets leaned out, I think he's going to be he's going to be a real asset for Carolina's team moving forward uh, at the college level. I think he'll be extremely effective on the college level once he leans out some um, because he's already got the feet. He's clearly a very, very strong guy. Um, So, you know, if you if you if you lean him down and you tone him up some, I think, you know, he really will be potentially a monster at the college level. Um, the the next thing that I think he needs to improve upon is his assignments on the second level. I don't want to say he comes up to the second level, like on linebacker assignments, for example. I don't want to say he comes up out of control. What I think is he just either takes bad angles, which can be the result of uh, you know a poor first step uh, off the snap. It can be the result of you know, maybe he just his eyes weren't up or, or several things. But I saw a few times on his film that. Um, you know, what he would do is he would get up and he would actually engage the linebacker on the linebacker's upside shoulder. And what I mean by that is he would basically come in too wide. And linebacker, what he's doing is he's given the opportunity to duck underneath him and make the play on the second level, as opposed to coming up to the second level with his hips underneath him, square to the linebacker, right, and kind of cutting off any angle of escape from that defensive player. So um, that's something he can work on. And that's something that every player coming out of high school struggles with on the offensive line. That is a skill that is taught. Um, that's one of those, you know, geometric things that you only learn from watching film and getting beat a few times at the college level. Cause at the high school level, you know, he's so big and strong. He can just kind of reach out, grab a guy, throw him on the ground and he can overcompensate for, you know, maybe some, some, some shortcomings or some misgivings uh, in his technique or maybe in some of his approach angles and things like that. At the college level, he'll get beat on that a few times, and he'll figure it out. Um, the one thing I did see, again, going back to a positive, is Malik's ability to adapt. Um, he sees what's going on around him, and he's able to adapt to that in-game, which I thought was very impressive. I will couch all of this by saying that the only available film that I could find on him publicly was highlight tapes. Um, college coaches, for the most part, want to see full game tapes because what they want to they don't want to see what you think are your best plays what they want to see is they want to see you from start to finish in a game they want to see you get beat they want to see how you recover right and they want to see if you get beat why are you getting beat and how are you getting beat because that'll tell you what a player is really capable of um and then if you're able to adjust right so if you if you got beat because your hips were bad or your feet were too slow did you improve upon that or did you get beat because your eyes weren't up and you just didn't see it happen did you improve upon that the next time that situation arose in a game because once you get beat one way one time it will keep showing up until you stop it um so college coaches want to see that when they're evaluating players um, and that's how I was taught to evaluate film, particularly with, you know, recruits and uh, and college players. So um, I didn't have access to a full game um, of film for Malik. But what I did see in the highlights, I was able to pull enough out of 
um, to be able to give you these positives because even though they're highlights, you know, it's still actual game reps, right? It's things that happened, you know, live in a game. And I can tell you that um, some of the things I saw were, were impressive. There's a lot to improve on as there are with all high school kids. But um, I think Malik has a good foundation. He has, again, some things that I don't think you can teach that he just has innately in him uh, that will really help him progress fairly quickly at the college level. And I'm excited to see uh, how he does once he gets on campus. All right. Good stuff, Mike. Setting the bar high for the very first in the trenches player profile. EJ, you got to follow up with that, man. So let's hear about KBJ's strengths and areas for improvement. Once again, thank you, Mike, for uh, making following you up even harder. Uh, good job breaking that down. Um, but as far as KBJ, I really, really was impressed with what I saw. Um, this kid is really showing me some things that you typically don't see. And um, I'll just give the I'll, I'll just give the notice that I, the footage that I was able to get for, gather from him was from his sophomore and junior seasons, which makes some of this stuff even more encouraging. I think the first thing that I really noticed is that you see a lot of this. He's a very versatile player. Not only do you see highlights of him completely destroying people as a tight end. Um, and the only reason I bring that up is because for, with him playing tight end, he understands how the tight end is trying to block him. He can not only use his athleticism, but he can use some of that knowledge of the position to maybe uh, position himself or, or just try to attack a certain angle on the tight end or a tackle in order to defeat that block. Uh the next thing is that I, I saw footage of him playing both inside and outside. And, and it wasn't just on a pass rush situation where he was kicking down to get another linebacker or another faster guy uh, inside to have uh, more pass rush explosiveness. He was actually in there defending the run. And um, this guy really does a great job of diagnosing plays for someone his age. I mean, some of the plays that he's kind of seeing and, and the discipline that he's showing, it's stuff that I, I developed probably my sophomore, junior year in college. So this guy's way ahead of his time. And I, I think that the best example of um, of his knowledge is, is on a screenplay that I saw. I mean, usually in high school, guys, when they see an offensive tackle drive back into a pass set, they're going uh, balls to the wall upfield and they're trying to get a sack. Well, uh, KBJ didn't do that. He he diagnosed the play. He saw the offensive lineman standing up, not really giving a lot of effort to block him. He diagnosed the play, followed the running back, and ended up making a tackle for, for a loss. And, and and that's a play you usually see guys making their junior, senior years uh, in college after they've been in the program for a while and watching film. So be, to see a guy do that his junior year in high school is completely impressive. One thing you don't see is you don't see people breaking contain on him very often, even when he's pass rushing. And another strength of his would be his sense of pass rush. And I don't mean just his ability to perform a move, sink a rip, do a swim. He's knowledgeable of his pass rush lanes, uh, no matter. And, and that kind of ties back into him being able to play both positions. When he's playing inside, he doesn't look like a defensive end who's just been kicked down. He looks like someone who's been playing defensive tackle uh, his whole career. The same thing for outside. He understands that when he's pass rushing inside, his job is to collapse the, collapse the pocket uh, and make it hard for that quarterback to see him when he's on the outside. He knows his job is to keep the quarterback within that pocket and keep him contained. And I've seen um, footage of him even sinking deep rips and still being able to release from that 
to attack the quarterback uh, when he's trying to break contain. And his closing speed is very, very, very impressive. Once he, with his ability to, to diagnose a play, to see it fast, he doesn't hesitate. He trusts what he sees. He trusts his instincts. And he has really good instincts for someone his age. I mean, you'll see many plays or, or on his highlight film where he's either, uh, he's wrong arming what we call it. He's not sending everything. Uh, he's not trying to keep everything back inside. He knows his help is outside with his safeties in his corner. And he's spelling and or wrong arming a lot of these plays. And most of the time he, he ends up making the play simply because of his physical ability. And that's not something that I really want to focus on because I mean, when you have a guy that's six, four, 260 pounds, of course, he's going to be bigger, faster, stronger than everyone out there. But when you see a guy with this type of athleticism, who's able to diagnose a play like this, um, it's very encouraging. So um, his first step quickness is something else that stood out to me. I mean, this guy was usually off the ball before most of the guys were out of their stands. And, of course, in college, it's not going to look that impressive because everyone else he's playing against is going to be two, three, four, and potentially five-star recruits who, who are going to have the same uh, ball awareness, same snap count awareness as, as he's having and the same athleticism to the level and the caliber of athlete that he is. But just the fact that he has that first step uh, right now, he understands that he needs to get to a spot before the offensive lineman does is, is very encouraging. And, and I saw a lot of that. Uh, another thing is that it, he, this guy's relentless. He doesn't take any plays off. Yeah. I, I saw a couple plays where he wasn't running as hard as, as I thought he could, but I think some of that goes to the fact that he knows he's bigger, faster, stronger, than a lot of the guys that he's playing against. But I've, I've seen him make plays on the other side of the field in the run game. I've seen him chase quarterback down. I've seen him get an interception for touchdown just for doing his job, being in the right place. Even though he didn't make the initial play, he was there to reap the benefits and reap the rewards of the hard work and discipline of his teammates. And um, discipline is something that I really was what I was seeing the most praises about him because, I mean, we could sit here and talk about his athleticism and stats all day. But there are a lot of guys who are the same size, the same athletic ability as him. But what he has above and beyond more than, any, than anyone else is discipline. He knows that he he's going to have contained and he doesn't let anybody get outside of him. Uh, but something that I think he really needs to improve on is his pad level. I think that he knows that uh, he knows that he's a dominant player on the field. So when he comes off the ball, it's like he stands straight up and he's looking to see what's going on to try to diagnose the play as, as simple as quickly as he can so he can go make the play. Uh, but when you're playing in the ACC and especially some of these out-of-conference games, if you get caught with your pass too high, you're going to end up on somebody else's highlight reel or maybe on SportsCenter Top 10. I've had that happen to me a couple times personally, but I do think that that's something that's very – very, very fixable. Uh, from day one, I'm sure while they were having drills on campus, that that's something that they were working with him um, with on his pad level. I mean, other than that, I think this guy is going to be a, a really solid contributor and a really solid player. I mean, I'm, I'm really he really impressed me by some of the things that we're seeing, and I haven't really had a chance to see a lot of pass rush reps or him just uh, straight beating a guy. It's more so him using uh, his instincts and his feels and his discipline uh, and his knowledge of the game to really make himself a, a more dominant player. So I really can see him helping us out big time this season. I mean, this this guy's really impressive. He reminds me a lot of Dante Page Moss uh, when he was coming out of high school. He's a physical guy. He takes on block. He doesn't avoid contact, and he fights through blocks. You're not going to see him sticking on the offensive lineman or sticking on the tight end or sticking on whoever decides to make the bad decision to try to block him. He's going to get off that block, um, and, and he's going to finish a play. He's a very, very explosive tackler. 
most of the time when he when, when he's tackling guys, they're going backwards. And that's something that you like to see, especially with some of the issues that we've had over the past with, with missing tackles and and uh different things like that. I think he's a guy that once you're in his once you're in his grips, I don't think you're going anywhere. And hopefully, uh good luck with trying to hold on to the ball because this guy really knows how to roll his hips, throw his body into a tackle and secure a tackle. So um yeah, I, I think that's about uh, everything I really could gather from a little bit of film that I saw. But I'm uh, I'm definitely more excited about uh, KBJ after doing some research on it. All right, guys, let's go ahead and take our final commercial break. So we will be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And we're back with the Inside Carolina in the Trenches podcast. John Siegley here with Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson. All right, guys, so to wrap up the player profile part of the pod, let's go ahead and get y'all's thoughts on how Malik and KBJ might be able to contribute as freshmen. Mike, go back to you first on this one. I mean, it's a big ask for a true freshman offensive lineman to really make an impact but now that the NCAA will allow guys to play up to four games without losing eligibility, do you think that's something that the coaches may try to do for Malik and get him in there to see how he does against college-level opponents? I would expect to see every coaching staff in the country to take advantage of this rule, um, and they have been for the most part. Um, but you know, they have to pick and choose their spots. They can't just throw a guy in when it's a when it's a one score game in the fourth quarter and, you know, uh, the divisions on the line or something, right. It's going to be blowout wins or blowout losses. Um, And and that's when you're going to see these guys play. I think Malik is going to need a year of development. I don't, I don't know that he's a guy that's going to be able to come in and play immediately, but I do think that in the long term he's going to be a guy that's going to contribute fairly significantly to the offensive line in Chapel Hill. Um, and, and that's, and that's not a knock on the leak. Most offensive linemen coming out of high school can't come in, play and be massive contributors right off the bat. Um, but the benefit, like you mentioned of this new four, four game rule with the NCAA where guys can play four straight games or four games in a season, um, and not blow their red shirt is insanely beneficial. And it's something I wish that we had, um, you know, when, when we played, when we played, it was, if you, if you set foot on the field, during a game, you blew your red shirt. I mean, that was it. Um, now you can get up to four full games. You can start those games. There's no snap limitation. It's just four games. Um, so it's, you know, it's a third of it. You can play a third of a season and still red shirt. 
I mean, that's, that's insanely beneficial because there's nothing better for guys than game reps. And if you really want players to develop, you throw them in game situations and, and you let them get some game reps. And I think, you know, Malik is one of those guys who will be advanced enough to where they can trust him in spots to put him in those positions to get those game reps and to get that experience. So I would expect to see him, you know, I'm putting this in air quotes, red shirt this year, but he'll, he'll play. Um, in as many games and in as many spots as they can get him in, he's going to play. And that's because they're going to need him to develop. Because I think, uh, again, in the long term, he's going to be a guy who will provide some fairly substantial contribution on the offensive line, um, mo- most likely as a starter at some point. Um, but even if not as a starter, you know, as a, as, a, as a heavy contributor throughout his career. All right. And then, EJ, same question to you about KBJ. How do you see him – getting on the field this football season? I I think uh, at worst case scenario, he's going to be probably the most important reserve that we have. And this is just kind of just shoot, just keeping the bar low. Um, Just with this ability for me, having experience playing um, and being an upperclassman with some younger defensive linemen, the quickest way to get on the field uh, and have consistent playing time probably would be pass rush. But the way to really ingrain yourself into a program and really have give yourself the best chance to improve would be showing your ability to play against the run because that way he's going to get a real flow for the game. He's going to be able to acknowledge your passes. He's going to see a lot of different things as opposed to just coming in on third down, getting a set blitz or a, a set pass rusher doing something like that. I mean, the way this, as I mentioned and kind of harped on, this guy has the ability to diagnose a play, see what he needs to do and be disciplined and uh, have great get off. Uh, Other than the pad level, I think he has everything that he needs to immediately impact the game against the run as well as the pass. I also think that he'll be able to back up every position on the field, probably except for nose guard, simply because I don't think he has enough lead in his boots yet. But I'm sure after uh, spring and summer in in our strength and conditioning program, he's going to have the strength and the endurance to be able to do that. But I definitely think he's going to be able to maybe sparingly play the run at tackle a little bit when we need him if we're in that dire situation. And definitely at defensive end, I think he's going to be competing for a starting spot, if not uh, a starter from day one. But I do think by the middle of the season, if he if uh, what I'm seeing is true and he continues to develop and he has that character and that hard work and that want to, I do think he could be a starter for our program this year. I don't think that there's a lot of guys uh, in front of him right now with the exiting of Jason Strobridge and uh, Tamon Fox. I definitely think there's an opening and some, t- um, some snaps there for him to be able to grab. But I do think this is going to be uh, one of the guys who's going to go in with Chas Rat and some of our other uh, guys that we have coming back from last year and it's going to make an impact and he instantly adds something that we did not have at all last year and that's depth as I mentioned he can back up almost pretty much every position on that defensive line and with his ability to have to know those different positions as he progresses on in his career that's only going to make him a much better player because he knows exactly what the guy next to him is going to be doing and once he learns and he knows the offense he knows exactly if something doesn't happen or if a play leaks out or if the running back hits a hole or he finds a seam he's going to know exactly why and he's going to know exactly where that seam is going to be coming from with his ability to diagnose and just with that experience so I really see him being a, a impact player for this for us this year and getting a substantial amount of snaps, uh, and I see him being hopefully one of the uh, one of the good ones for our program, a guy that's going to be consistent day in and day out, similar to what uh, Jason Strobridge has been for our program over the last few years. 
Good stuff. And the phrase lead in his boots, is that the code name for late night food from either the Granville Towers Grill or uh, the various establishments along Franklin Street, EJ? Wait, well, in me and Mike's day, it was uh, it was daily uh, breakfast dates with Coach C, him watching how much you ate and a little extra uh, workouts oh, in the afternoon. My, my, Mike knows all about that hard gainer lifestyle. Oh, but for him, I, don't, I, I think some me, I, I took the wrong hard gainer. I did the late night meals and some of the bad stuff on Franklin Street and ended up playing at 289 pounds in my junior year. Uh, it had 12 quarterback hits, which showed me that I was fat in the step too slow. So <laughs> hopefully he'll take the route and just put it on with muscle mass. But as I mentioned, I mean, it's not like he's a small kid now, but I definitely think he has the size uh, to be um, ACC, a good caliber ACC defensive end. But if he's going to be, uh, if he's going to be a Jason Strawberry type player that can play up and down the line, I do think that he needs to add more strength, but I, I haven't seen too many defensive linemen coming into college who are physically ready to play day one. I mean, those are the guys uh, in your five-star. And I think I'll give a this a guy that we don't usually mention positively a lot uh, when we're talking, but Marvin Austin is one of those examples of a guy who came in who was physically uh, physically and mentally ready to play uh, at a Division One level. So hopefully this guy is, is cut from that same cloth. But that that would be – I think that would be more so fat in your boost than lead in your boost. What do you think, Mike, if, if, if he took the route that I took? If he took the route that you took? Uh, mm-hmm. if he took the route that you took, then he'll be on a, uh, sex offender watch list. <laughs> oh, and, uh, and, and, could very, and could, and could very well be deported. Um, oh, wow. Probably oh. to, probably, probably, probably to Mexico. Mike, don't make me bring up Tampa. Oh, let's not, let's not bring up Tampa. Let's just, <laughs> let's again, talk about being deported. I would prefer to not be deported back to Florida. I think that the term would be extradited, Mike. Oh, no, this is a deportation. I'm not going back to Florida. <laughs> yeah. We don't claim we're not. Have you been watching the news and the beaches and the spring break? Well, I don't claim Florida as part of this country anymore. It's time for Florida to go. Just off. Oh, man. It's right, time. Guys. It's time. They can they can have they, they can they can have his highness, Tom Brady. Uh, they can have sweet, sweet Prince Tom. But I'm willing to sacrifice him to get rid of to get rid of that state. For the greater good. For the greater good. All right, guys, I think that's an excellent place to go ahead and wrap up the podcast. <laughs> we will talk more during this off season. Appreciate you guys taking the time to speak with me on this Friday morning, and we'll talk again soon. You guys have a great rest of the week. You too. Enjoy the job. See you guys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.